Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. We are all evil. It's some form or another. I'm not guilty. The dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. Something if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hello, everyone. <laughs> so, hi. What's up, Biggie? Welcome hi. to the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We're here. I'm Biggie. I'm Janelle. <laughs> Casey I'm didn't sorry, notice. I did, I did, you made me laugh at the beginning. My goal is always to ruin this intro. And so far, so good. <laughs> oh, goodness. Welcome back to another episode of the show. Did you um, miss us? Did you miss us? <laughs> yes. We have a great episode planned for you. If this is a special... Wait. If this is your first time listening... <laughs> this is a special wait. <laughs> if this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. I, we just have the giggles right now. Yeah. <laughs> just tired. Like it's to the end of the, of the recording sesh. <laughs> yes. Okay. So lots of stuff planned. Lots to talk about. How are you, Janelle? I'm good. I'm ready for this, uh, this fucking weird episode we're about to do. <laughs> Yeah, it'll be interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, but first, let's head over to the newsroom. So do you remember the like terrible fire that just went through Colorado? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, I I forget. Yeah, it was like the end of, Mm -hmm. I think technically it was like the last couple of days of 2021. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so just south of Boulder, reports for grass fire began coming in, but thanks to hurricane force winds, the fires got quickly out of control. All in all, the entire town of Superior and Louisville were evacuated. Um, The fire had gone across 6,000 acres and destroyed nearly 1,000 homes and businesses. Huge, Mm -hmm. massive fire. I think they're still determining the cause of it, and there is huge speculation that is quite interesting, but I'm not going to talk yeah, about that here. Yeah, there's some speculation um, that somebody started yeah. the fire, but we didn't start the fire. <laughs> <laughs> so there's something interesting happening now uh, in the Coal Creek Ranch neighborhood where its residents are part of an HOA. Ew. I just want to state for the record that HOAs are fascism. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up. Fascism. <laughs> I'm also not a fan of HOAs. Mm-mm. 
the majority of the neighborhood is burned. And And they still have lawn regulations. Emails went out from the association saying they are still collecting the $700 dues minus the trash collection fee. Are you kidding me right now? No. (laughs) So the clubhouse and pool use are still included, even though the buildings were severely damaged, but overall survived. Um, Not usable, mind you, but... If it's not uh, inhabitable, then no. Yeah. (laughs) So according to an email from HOA board president Earl Hauserman, quote, Unfortunately, the bylaws require us to charge dues, and believe me, we have looked at any way not to. We are so concerned about this that we have started to raise money to support the families involved, and after only a few days, we have raised $12,000. Or you could just update the bylaws and pass an addendum that says, in catastrophic emergencies, we're going to put a pause on it. Yeah. So that is definitely one of the things that this has brought to light is that their bylaws need to change. Like residents are like, obviously the bylaws need to change. But like there is, I don't know, maybe it's just like the moral part of me that is like, even if it's even if it's in your bylaws, like, look, look around you. Look the fuck around you. Mm -hmm. Nobody has homes. They're like, well, legally, we have to charge you until you sell the property to somebody else. All it takes so, is for them to have a board meeting and for someone to put it on the agenda and they vote on it. That's where, it. Where are they going to have a board meeting? Anywhere. The buildings are burned. You can literally have a board meeting anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Hopefully, by the time this episode comes out, something's been done about that because I think that's kind of bullshit. And, you know, it. I wonder, too, like, if they would have a legal claim in in civil mm-hmm. court to, like... A thousand percent. You know what I mean? Um, it would definitely be interesting. So... If there's no house, you can't associate it around it. Okay? Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, moving on to Netflix and Kill, where we are talking about at the murders at Star Rock. Oh, the one I texted you about. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and this, I'm assuming you have... Yes, Watch this. Okay, this is going to rely heavily on you because <laughs> I have not gotten to, <laughs> okay. to this one yet. Um, it looks very good, but girl, mm-hmm. I've been watching some other stuff. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so the three-part documentary series on HBO, it looks at the 1960 murders that starved Rock in March of 1960. Mildred Lindquist, Francis Murphy, and Lillian Oding were murdered at Starved Rock State Park in LaSalle County, Illinois. Although he recreated the murders and signed a multi-page confession, Chester Wagner, who has served 60 years in prison for the murders, continues to maintain his innocence. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this case on the show Mm -hmm. also. Janelle, you covered it a while ago, I think. Yeah. uh, Well, back then, um, it was a little bit different because he got released. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, boy. Right before COVID. Oh. He got released. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So... Thoughts on the documentary. Spoiler alert. Oops. Yeah, right? Oops. <laughs> no, that's you okay. watched the news in Illinois. Yes. <laughs> you should know that he got released. Um, I thought it could have been a little bit shorter because it was drug out some points where it's like, oh, no, who cares? Yeah. Um, but they did bring a lot of uh, different theories into it. They, The one thing about it that I was like, they relied really heavily on a discussion with the granddaughter of one of the women who never met her. Okay. <laughs> yeah it was a little weird um because she was talking about her and how it affected her family which you know obviously yeah, Kayla, fair enough. Char- character witness kind of a thing and like when it came time for um all of his parole hearings 
um, you know, the families came and spoke. So I understood that. But, yeah. like, they interviewed her a lot. And, like, she never met the woman. Yeah. So, like, the speculations and discussions, not that I want to victim blame, but the speculations and discussions that she had about the, you know, whether he was innocent or not, not really relevant as yeah. it was portrayed to be. I don't know. They yeah. They filmed it in such a manner. So it was originally started filming by the prosecutor's son. Yeah. Because he was terrified of of this story when he was little because his father was the one prosecuting this criminal and taking care of this case. Mm -hmm. And so you think at the beginning um, when you're watching it, it's all the old footage from when he was doing the documentary by himself. Okay. Well, he stopped because he couldn't afford to do it. And then he sold it off and HBO picked it back up and they finished it. Okay. So they're kind of – Positing it as like this this project that he was doing just to kind of get his curiosity out and figure out why he was so afraid of the case. Yeah. In the beginning. Like yeah. why? But then it kind of takes some twists and turns and like he questions his father's like moral compass in this case. Yeah. And it was very interesting. Yeah. And that is like I, I would say one of the major critiques is that you know, was it as much of a true crime documentary as it is about this director sort of exploring his relationship with his father mm-hmm. and coming to terms with some of the things that he thought about his father. So that does sound really interesting, though. Yeah, he definitely goes <laughs> goes forth and talks to people. They There was people who started a free Chester Wagner group. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah. They're really fucking weird and have a lot of problems. And I literally laughed out loud when one of the people was popped up on the screen. I was like, that's not a human. <laughs> like it was Oh no. It was like every conceivable weirdo you can think of yeah. was involved in this. It's at times I laughed, which it, you probably weren't supposed to, but I was like, yeah. this is unbe- like it's unbelievable some of the things that people are saying. Um, but also it's like, you know, Southern yeah. Illinois kind of a kind of oh, people, yes, you know. Yeah. So it's a, it's a little bit slower down there it in is. the south of yeah. Illinois. <laughs> I'll also say that when HBO picked it back up, it was done by the same people who had done McMillions. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. If you had seen that. Does it look, I mean, is it like a similar filming style at no, all? No, because okay. they used a lot of footage from the guy's original documentary. Yeah, okay. So not really. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I liked it. Good. Because uh, it was fucking weird. It's not what... I like weird. A nor- it, it's yeah. not what I would call a normal documentary. I like weird. It was very weird. And I liked it. Well, I'm going to have to jump on that, as all of mm-hmm. you should probably, too. It's on yeah. uh, HBO Max, Murders at Starved Rock. Uh, check it out. This is that part of the show where you say content may not be appropriate for all listeners. Um, actually, mine's pretty. I don't think there's any murder in this. No, I don't think there's any murder <laughs> there's in this no, It's just crime. It's just straight crime. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So what are we talking about today, Janelle? So, you know, me being a weirdo, um, <laughs> as I do. Yeah. Uh, I came across a book while I was working at a previous job, and I... I put this story in my back pocket for a rainy day okay. because it's so fucking bizarre. And I was like, I don't know when I'm going to do this. So we decided that we're going to cover some smuggling cases just so I could talk about this case. <laughs> it was so funny because I saw Janelle is way more organized than I am. And she plans her episodes ahead of time. Yep. <laughs> um, and so I saw this on your <laughs> list and I had almost gone with smuggling like a month 
or two ago and mm-hmm. was like, okay, all right. Well, sometimes you think about the same things. Yeah. Some, for me, a lot of times I'll find a case and I'll be like, well, what can I do an episode around this case? Yeah. I want to cover this case. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of times it's that. Um, yeah. I'm like, well, what's involved in this case? Not <laughs> smuggling. So we're going to go off off the beaten path here. We're going to get some heist action. And uh, the guy I'm going to talk about uh, has been smuggling since 1983. Oh, boy. Can you can you did you see? What it was about? Did you see what he was smuggling? No. Can you take a wild guess what he's smuggling? No. I'm looking at the links and yes. I'm like... So his name is Jeffrey Lendrum. Birds? Is it birds? It is eggs. <laughs> oh. It is an egg smuggler of rare birds, in fact. So rare bird eggs. Oh. <laughs> and his particular How? specialty... I already have so many questions. How? His particular specialty is peregrine falcons. Okay. Uh, So Jeffrey Lundrum grew up in Zimbabwe, which was not Zimbabwe back then. It was like Rhodesia or some shit. Um, (laughs) Back when white people were, you know, (laughs) stomping around Zimbabwe. Um, And as a child, he was an avid bird watcher. So that was like something he would enjoy doing with his friends. His bird watching turned to an obsession, and he began to take eggs from nests and raise them. So, you know, a lot of times kids come become fascinated with some sort of nature. You know, they'll yeah. collect a butterfly. They'll put a, a yeah, lightning bug like in a jar. Collecting eggs and raising them is a little... So he collects eggs, yeah. A little weird. It's a little 4-H. <laughs> I guess. So this obsession grew, and he began to be really good at um, stealing eggs, and he had a small group of friends, and they would competitively take eggs from nests. Competitive <laughs> so egg gathering? They would competitive egg gather. And Lendrum was known for being so good and so fast that his friends would come to a nest, and there would often be notes in the nest saying, too late, sucker. Oh, my gosh. I love that, though. <laughs> so, I do like that. He's really good at stealing eggs. <laughs> now, Lendrum would start taking his egg talents to new levels in the 80s. And he was in his 20s. Lundrum began to kind of begin a lucrative career as a smuggler of rare bird eggs. He was still an avid birder. And the thing about birding is uh, you report what you see. Mm-hmm. There are like national bird watching associations. I've bird watched before. My grandparents were avid bird watchers. Yeah. You like make a record and you submit the record. Yeah, I know bird watching is like serious <laughs> fucking business. So he would report whereabouts of birds and eggs and eggs that have hatched in their nests but then when other birders would come by they'd be like hmm there's no eggs in this nest where could they have gone oh oh so he was on his bird watches stealing eggs i forgot he was stealing eggs for a second it was like "Ooh, homeboy's lying about his bird watching no he's just taking taking the eggs Yeah. yeah So people started reporting to the authorities, and in 1983, there was a raid on his family's home. Oh, okay. They uncovered a cabinet full of eggs, many of them from endangered species. So if they would have been just like regular, plain old boring eggs, it would have been fine. But there was endangered species. So his father was actually the one who encouraged him to smuggle the eggs. So the authorities were like, hmm. 
Was he still, like, young at this point? He was in his 20s and he's still oh, living okay. at home. Okay. That happens. This wasn't in, like, his <laughs> teens. He was like, yeah. I gotcha. Okay. He was in his 20s. So father and son were convicted on multiple counts of theft and illegal possession and fined the equivalent of $2,500 each. Oof. And then given suspended jail sentences. This is Africa, if you're not remembering. So poaching, endangered species laws. Yeah. At this time, we're starting to ramp up. Mm-hmm. Previous to this, like 60s and 70s, no one gave a fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so they it's take that different. shit seriously. Yeah. So after this encounter, he decided to step up his game and he started to travel more and he was going to all of these faraway destinations to smuggle very rare eggs. He would have buyers looking for rare eggs because if you're a rich douchebag, uh, the most fun thing to do is to put beautiful animals, wild animals, in captivity. Like that's it. Oh my God. So, so it was all of these rich douchebags and sheiks contacting him to seek out the rarest birds. Most buyers were coming from the United Arab Emirates. Now, I'll explain why. Okay. <laughs> the most sought after bird for him was the peregrine falcon. Now, these birds are used in falconry the most. They're the most predominant one. They are huge and have a crazy dive bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, so ultimate kind of falconry bird peregrines mate for life and are often like nesting in clumps and often a pair will have more than one nest in an area and like scatter eggs okay they like to nest off of the edges of cliffs high up so very difficult to reach areas okay so to retrieve these eggs it's very very dangerous Breeding captive falcons for collectors is highly regulated and extremely profitable, so smuggling, obviously, you need to do it. Yeah. Healthy adult peregrines could fetch as much as $25,000. Wow. An Arctic grafalcon, which is the largest of all the falcons and the second most sought-after one, can command a price of $250,000. Now, they're not that good at falconry, so really people kind of seek those to have pets. Gotcha. More for show than use. So some Arab sheiks are willing to pay up to $400,000 for a single white grafalcon egg, which is considered like, you know, the rarest find you can find. Yeah. Now, as he began to gain notoriety due to like the sheer amount of eggs he could smuggle, the most dangerous places um, he was going to, and he kind of got this interesting nickname. He became known as the Pablo Escobar of egg smuggling. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Wow. All yeah. right. That's mm-hmm. a that's, that's a badge of honor. That's serious. So he would travel all over the place smuggling eggs from Pakistan to Russia to Africa to Canada. Now, it wasn't until after 9-11 when he started to get caught more when smuggling. Because if you're not familiar with 9-11, because oh my God. believe it or not, Vicky, we might have I listeners know. who weren't even fucking born yet. And that is shakes me to my core if you're that young you shouldn't be listening <laughs> so uh 9-11 changed yeah. the entire everything. air travel industry everything yeah so now we have to go through lots of layers of security get stand scanned take off your shoes yeah all that stuff so yeah. it's really hard to smuggle but why were there so many people still wanting falcons why were there so many people still smuggling not too long after 9-11 in 2002 Sheikh Hamadan bin Mohammed al Maktoum, son and heir of the billionaire ruler of Dubai, mm-hmm. introduced a new sport to the Arab world 
falcon racing. Oh, yes. I know about this. So, in 2002, Sheikh Hamadin bin Mohammed al-Muktoum um, was like, you guys, we need to get all of these eggs together. We're going to raise falcons. We're going to race them. It's going to be amazing. This competition took off, and there were two dudes who were like, Predominant. So the competition competition between Al Maktoum and Al Nahayan, their families, like the richest people in the country, yeah. they were like on a quest for the fastest fucking bird that they could possibly get. So it became this big business yeah. and smuggling like took off. And the majority of the 12,000 captive bred birds are exported from the West are destined to wind up here. Gotcha. And of course, this would be popular because this is like 100% an elitist oh, yeah. sport. So, you know, elite. Lots of money wrapped up, I'm sure, mm-hmm. in gambling, too. Oh, yes. So, in 2013, a pure white Grafalcon was sold to the royal family in Doha, the capital of Qatar, for this is in European monies, um, 211,000 euros. I don't know how much this is in American. I didn't translate it. So this gave way to the black market boom. They were like, wow, this guy, this one guy bought this bird for that much money. Yeah. So people were like, let's get these mm-hmm. eggs. Time to get our slice of that mm-hmm. egg. How hard could it be? <laughs> oh my I gosh. will tell you how fucking hard it's going to be. It sounds dangerous as hell Ooh, anyway. It is. Now, Lendrum was not shy and he didn't give a fuck. He would be out there hanging off cliffs doing whatever the fuck he wanted. He was great at, at getting these eggs. Not so much in smuggling. Though. Oh, my God. <laughs> I Once, mean, if you've got half of the equation, I feel like the other half is very important. Yes, you need some help. <laughs> so once while transporting falcon eggs, Lendrum removed the birds from his bag at the airport to avoid a baggage scanning machine where they would obviously see their bones. Right. So instead, he put them into the pockets of his fleece jacket and walked through the metal detector. Then he entered into a bathroom and put the chick eggs back into his rucksack and boarded a flight. He stored the bag in the overhead compartment and listened for the bird cheeps when they got hungry, then took his entire rucksack into the bathroom and fed the babies a blend of minced calf liver and raw egg yolks. That was what he did. That's what he was known for. That was his, like, jam. But also, if I was on a plane and I heard cheep, 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 I'd be like, fuck has a baby bird on here well people notice it'd be suspect people notice that stuff like the woman who was breastfeeding her cat yep you know on the plane people notice these things yes so on another trip to northern quebec lendrum employed a helicopter and dangled from a rope swooped in and snatched the eggs of peregrine falcons out of their nests Another method that he liked to do involved planting a bailey, which is a device for controlling a rope during rock climbing. Okay. So those series of like metal snaps and things. Okay. He would put that at the top of a cliff, work his way down, snatch the eggs, and then either continue down to the bottom or he'd go back up where a helicopter would be waiting. So either way, okay. he'd be getting in a helicopter and flying his ass out of there. Yeah. A lot of times the helicopters couldn't land, so he was, like, dangling and climbing. So super scary. That's sketch. That is too much for me. Mm -hmm. It's too extreme sport for me. Yeah. So Lundrum was so skilled that he could – he did a lot of stuff to, like, convince people. He would paint the eggs he was transporting to look like regular chicken eggs or duck eggs so that if he got caught, he could say, those were just regular chicken eggs, and that's not illegal. 
Who is carrying mm. eggs around though? I don't like know. you could say, well, it's my, it's my, it's a hard boiled egg. It's a snack. I'm also wondering <laughs> like what they did to make sure they didn't break the eggs because it sounds like they're just literally carrying There's them in their There's a picture at the bottom of of how did I put it at the bottom of this? Yes, actually, after the next paragraph, of of how he would wrap himself up. So. Not too long after this, he was nabbed in an airport, and in 2010, Lundgren was arrested in a Birmingham airport. He had gone into the showers in an Emirates first-class departure lounge, but a suspicious janitor realized he was not using any water, so why was he in the shower? The janitor mm-hmm. raised the alarm, fearing that he was a terrorist, and Lundgren was stopped and found with ribbons of surgical tape around his chest. So he had taped them to his chest with padding. A search of his luggage turned up an assortment of unusual gear. Thermal bags, a Leica camera viewing scope, a thermometer, binoculars, a GPS system, a walkie-talkie, and a golf ball retriever, which used telescopic extensions to stretch up to 17 feet. Hmm. Interesting. That's kind of... About the size of an egg. Yeah. (laughs) So, inside were 14 eggs stolen from a peregrine falcon nest in the south of Wales. Officers from West Midlands Police and the UK National Wildlife Crime Unit later discovered in his car containing an incubator and climbing equipment in the long-stay parking lot. So he had his incubator in his car. He was ready to drop those eggs in the incubator, go take them wherever they needed to go. Yeah. And then go uh, climb some more and get some more eggs. Oh, my gosh. This just seems like such an elaborate, <laughs> elaborate process. Well, if they're dead, they're worth nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he has to ensure that they're going to live and be viable. I so guess he I, has still, to. I still don't understand how they didn't break eggs. Even with that picture. They are much wrapped, harder shells. Are they? Than a hen egg. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The larger the egg, the harder the shell is. Oh, I didn't. So, like, if you have that. an ostrich egg or an emu egg, which is like the size of a fucking soccer ball, yeah, they're so hard to crack that people have to use like hammers and chisels to open them. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. How did they get out? They have very strong beaks. Oh, <laughs> science lesson. <laughs> so. Yeah, I. why do I know so much about birds? Um, <laughs> thanks to the efforts at the National Wildlife Crewmate Unit and RSPP, um, 11 of the 14 eggs were actually hatched out and the surviving chicks were returned to the wild. Good, good, good. As they should be. Um, the eggs were estimated to bring $350,000 a piece. Wow. He was jailed for 18 months. And after this arrest, it got really hard for him. Um, and Lundrum was not able to really make a lot of sales. It was very difficult for him to get someone to want to buy from him because he kept getting fucking caught all the time. Yeah, right. If you get busted, ain't nobody going to want to do business with you. So all these rich Sikhs started to distance themselves from him. So he was having more and more difficulty selling. But mm-hmm. that didn't stop him from trying to grab them eggs. <laughs> the pictures of him getting arrested in various capacities this is the latest one okay where it was just taped around him in a poor fashion they're really hilarious okay so in 2015 lundrum was caught again in brazil attempting to smuggle eggs lawyers for lundrum were preparing an appeal when he fled the country he claimed that he was running out of money and suffering from spider bites that needed medical attention so he fled the country Okay. Not at all because he had to go to jail. No. So Brazil not. immediately started to seek extradition and find where he was and like get him back. So not long after that, 
in 2018, Lundrum was again arrested in London in June after security staff at Heathrow Airport became suspicious of the heavy coat he was wearing on a warm day. Hmm. Come on. They found eggs on him. Of course. Um, (laughs) Of course. He had taped eggs around himself and put a coat on to conceal it. And apparently Heathrow Airport, you know, doesn't have great security. So he was like totally fine with it. But luckily, the security people were like, why is he wearing a fucking like down coat? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. In June. You got to think about these things. Yeah. So. He was sentenced to 37 months, and this time he was uh, eligible for parole, but officials stated he must stay in jail because Brazil was seeking charges. They couldn't extradite him, so they were going to try to charge him. So they were trying to figure all that out. And then two other countries charged him for the same crime. Oh, gosh. So I wish I had a satisfying, like, way to end this. But as of 2020, Lindrum was still in jail. But I wasn't able to confirm when he was supposed to be released um, or, you know, if he was still in jail pending the charges in the other countries. But I like to think that perhaps maybe he was out and he's on a mountaintop somewhere <laughs> rappelling down for a few good eggs. <laughs> oh, my God. So that is Jeffrey Lundrum. I'm pretty sure he's still in jail because yeah. – I'm pretty sure that COVID put a stop on a lot of people getting released. Yeah. And there's absolutely no extradition happening. So. Oh, my gosh. You can see they're still there or they like, I don't think the UK did a lot of releases. Like early release? Yeah. I don't think that they did. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's Jeffrey Weird. Lundrum, the most famous egg smuggler <laughs> in the world. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, so for this, I decided to do something I don't normally do. Actually, I think I've done it before, but I haven't done it in a very, very long time. So I found a couple of cases that I really wanted to cover, but none of them were, like, robust enough to do Mm -hmm. a single. Um, Yeah, this episode is going to be a little bit short. (laughs) Yeah, so I actually decided to pick two smaller cases, but we're equally as interesting. So I'm going to give you a choice as to what you want to start with. We can either talk about plants or we can talk about artifacts. Ooh, both things that I'm very interested in. (laughs) Artifacts especially because there's a certain museum who has been told to return some artifacts. Oh, yes. Should we start with artifacts? Yeah, let's start with that. Current news. (laughs) So, obviously, we've talked about the art world plenty of times mm-hmm. on the podcast, especially with our resident art expert, Janelle. I need a badge. <laughs> yeah. um, but really, like, the amount of art crime 
that happens should not be a surprise considering the amount of wealth involved. Let me just posit this. Yes. Because I work for a university and art crime is such a thing that at the university I work at, we have a fast track law degree. So if you if you get an undergraduate degree in art history, you can go on to be a part of the fast track program to get your doctorate in law. So you could be art law person. I should do that. That's a thing. That sounds interesting. It's pretty fascinating. I was like, this is a thing. Yeah. You should do that. You can hire me as your paralegal. (laughs) Art lawyer. (laughs) Oh, my God. That would be amazing. That's how prevalent art crimes are. Yeah. Really. I mean, and it is. It's a a million, billion, gazillion dollar business. Mm -hmm. Um, so, of course, it's going to attract some of the seedier Yes. There's many elements. documentaries we've discussed about mm-hmm. it, too. <laughs> so, you know, any industry that has any amount of money in it is sure to attract some organized crime. It it was like in the early 1960s that in international crime syndicates turned their attention to the artifact trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to CNN, quote, the Corsican Mafia was linked to a string of heists from the burglary of the famous French Riviera restaurant La Colombe d'Or in 1960 to the theft of 118 paintings by Pablo Picasso from an exhibit at Avignon's Pal- Papal Palace in 1976. Other groups followed suit, including the Sicilian Mafia, which is widely thought to have been responsible for the theft of Caravaggio's Nativity with St. Francis and St. Lawrence from Palermo Church in the, in 1960. Ugh, Caravaggio's another fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> so you like him or no? Um, He used to fight people in the streets with swords. Ooh, so. yes. Eccentric art guy. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, of course, this is all still happening in the modern day. Like, mm-hmm. the spillover is very much there. There's a lot of crime uh, syndicates still active. people hide their money by buying art. Yes. <laughs> yeah, truly. Um, so in early July 2018, police coordinated raids on 40 houses across the Italian regions of Sicily, Calabria, and Piedmont, and Apulia, as well as Germany, the UK, and Spain, um, they were the result of a four-year-long investigation called Operation Demetra, which focused on an. I wish in- it would have had a more clever name. <laughs> yeah, the operation names in this in this are not as clever, right? But I think it's because hidden meatball. That's what I would have called it. <laughs> oh my gosh! You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Probably if the Americans were coming up with the name, but we weren't. It was the Italians. A little classier than we are sometimes. Right? You gotta use <laughs> stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Operation Demetra focused on an international group involved in the illegal excavation and trafficking of cultural goods. Interesting. Yeah. Kind of poignant, right? Hmm. Just like a lot of other places are doing that. <laughs> In total, 23 suspects were arrested and they recovered more than 25,000 items, including ancient coins, statues, and pottery. So the group has been active over decades at the archaeological sites in, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> I'm sorry, apologies in advance. <laughs> Caltanissetta and Agrigento, which houses the ancient Greek Valley of the Temples. Mm-hmm. The artifacts were then transported to Germany, where they were sold at auction. 
The group allegedly went as far as setting up workshops for mass counterfeiting that took place. And then they were like making copies of archaeological yes. remains and then selling the replicas as originals. Mm-hmm. They just like set up these workshops to be like, okay, guys, yeah. <laughs> we're going to art, we're going to counterfeit. <laughs> Not surprising. Again, why we need art lawyers. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, for real. <laughs> so, One of the people arrested was British art dealer Thomas William Veras. Uh, That tracks. Fucking Britain. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, do you know him? But no. Yes. Just the entire continent over there, you know. (laughs) Uh, Police recovered a large number of coins and antiquities from his arrest alone. This was also not Veras' first time at the rodeo either, which is something that seems to be a theme this episode. Mm -hmm. All of these are like repeat offenders and also like how would if okay i can understand why people would still buy from my guy because it's kind of hard you know it's a hard mm-hmm. thing to do but if you know that this person got caught and they're selling fakes yeah why would you be like i trust you for right. the real deal right what <laughs> so just the year before uh Vera's was arrested by spanish police for allegedly possessing dozens of stolen artifacts but even that wasn't his first run-in with the law because in 1995 Vera's was given a suspended sentence of 22 months in the united states related to a u.s customs seizure uh seizing seizure, seizure. <laughs> i don't know what it typed out very strange <laughs> seizure of a fourth century bce gold filey I saw it pronounced six different ways. Okay. So mm-hmm. um, P-H-I-A-L-E, right? Filey? What was it? P-H-I-A-L-E. Anyway, um, a gold <laughs> filey worth $1.2 million. What is the object? <laughs> it's like a bowl. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a Greek bowl, I mm-hmm. think. The other major person arrested was 76-year-old Francesco Lucerna, who was allegedly, like, the ringleader of the operation. He seemed to be the contact with Sicily. Like, he was in Sicily dispatching the couriers with the stolen artifacts, who would then later make contact contact with Veras, who would, like, distribute them to all of these German auction houses. Now, at the time of recording, none of these people have been sentenced. Some of them haven't even put pleas in yet. Mm-hmm. Um the there's still an ongoing investigation because they are looking into the auction houses now in Germany also because some of this stuff yep. involves <laughs> fake provenances yep. and <laughs> fake documentation mm-hmm. and as we talked about before the art world is very quick to turn a blind eye to anything that doesn't seem quite right <laughs> yep just to make a sale mm-hmm. or you know so anyway, I thought this was kind of interesting because they're literally going into these archaeological sites and just digging the stuff up yep. and taking it. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, now there's lots of laws for that. But, you know, not too long ago, you could do that legally. Just That's take wild. Shit. That's wild. <laughs> Which is why, like, the British Museum is full of stolen artifacts. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute because mm-hmm. they are in a fight with Who? I'm not sure moment. who's representing it, but it's what uh, country? Do it's you... it's out of Africa. Okay, and it was the Benin bronzes. Yeah, um, which are centuries old, and they've been in the museum for a long 
long time, like yeah. colonial times. Yeah. So I'm not sure who they're fighting with exactly, but they're they're going back to Africa. Yeah. Finally. Well, and I this feel like year. <laughs> there's some like Chinese artifacts that they have oh, yeah. that they've refused to give back. What is it like and... ninety like literally ninety percent of the things in the British Museum were stolen? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but if they give them back, they have to mm-hmm. lose out on that money. Yeah. So the other thing that can happen is a lot of times that they'll like just pay money mm-hmm. or say they're sorry publicly, which is so fucking stupid. Yeah. It doesn't but, mean anything if you're not going to give the shit back. Yeah, I guess. Give the shit back. You know? So like when we talked about in our last episode, like the body of Kehoe mm-hmm. going all around the place, like there was a museum in um, central Illinois. This guy found a burial mound in his backyard and mm-hmm. turned it into a museum and it was exposed bodies of indigenous people oh, Jesus! and they would pay. And you know, in the nineties there was a bunch of people going to protest because they're like, they need to be reburied. They need to be put back. Like this is a burial site yeah. and you just dug up all these bodies to display it. So school children could go through and look at dead people. Yeah. That's so absurd. I love art, but like museums. Yeah. Are trash. Yeah. And I worked in museums. Yeah. <laughs> and most of the work that I did, you know, during grad school was about how to make museums equitable mm-hmm. and how to make them right. Yeah. Because they're very wrong. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So let's shift focus for a minute. To plants, my other obsession. <laughs> to plants. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, I mean, I feel like as evidenced by your egg story that we yes. heard. Just moments ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, chances are, if you can think of it, there is an illegal smuggling trade of it, mm-hmm. of that thing, somewhere in the world. Yes. Um, of course, this is the case for the plant trade with some of the more sought after items, including orchids, carnivorous species, and what we'll be talking about today, cactuses. Ooh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, according to the New York Times, over 30% of the world's nearly 1,500 cactus species are threatened with extinction. Um, Aren't sagoros? What's that? Aren't sagoros endangered? Like, if you get caught caught chopping into a sagoro, you'll be arrested. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know what that is. It's the most, like, famous cactus. When you see the three-pronged cactus, that's a (laughs) sagoro. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. See, this is how much I know about cactus. I know more about crime than cactuses. Um, Now I know about cactus crime. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of this, like, extinction is driven by collectors seeking out the most elusive species Mm -hmm. and um, often turning to illegal avenues yeah the thing about cactuses is they don't really grow back you know like once you cut it down it's it's gone right survive for hundreds of years yes and (laughs) to that point many cactus species are highly localized Mm -hmm. um found for example only on certain steep limestone cliffs in mexico or a single sandy patch of less than one square mile on peru's coast uh, they also tend to be extremely slow growing Mm -hmm. larger specimens are more highly sought after a uh, can be decades or even hundreds of years old, as you said. Um, and these features make cactuses particularly attractive to collectors interested in exclusivity. I know. Janelle is just silently shaking her head. Yeah. For a second, I thought you were going to start talking about invasive species because no. that's like a whole nother issue. People will smuggle things in because oh. they want it. 
and they'll plant it and it'll become an yeah. invasive species, which is a whole nother fucking problem. That is why we have lots of issues with, you know, plants in certain areas. Yes. No. <laughs> um, so, of course, obtaining the cactuses legally, like you can obtain cactuses legally, but it is nearly impossible because it requires permits. A lot of countries have prohibited the trading of many species outright where you just they're not legal to trade because of their extinction status. Mm-hmm. In more recent history, this illegal trade uh, made international headlines thanks to Operation Atacama, one of the largest raids in the world of illegal cacti trade. In February 2020, after receiving a tip, Italian police made a little visit to the home of well-known cactus collector Andrea Piombetti. So when they got there, they found a makeshift greenhouse containing approximately 1,000 Chilean capiapoa and Ariosice species. The cactuses, ranging in size from golf balls to beach balls, were seized from the property along with Piombetti's cell phone and passport. Uh, Serious. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and they didn't want him... You know, smugglers. They're. Yeah. I feel like they are probably the hardest people to track down just because of their They're experience. Moving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This, of course, wasn't his first front end. Never, with is, authorities never is. In relation to his succulent training, trading <laughs> in 2013, police had raided a shipment on Piombetti's property. They seized 600 Chilean cactuses, but nothing ever happened with that case thanks to literal miles of red tape mm-hmm. and by the time anything was going to be done with it the statute of limitations had run out so it just kind of died yeah it's also not like the first thing that people care about you know they care about crime crime not cacti crime <laughs> yeah well and it's interesting because as i'm doing this research um you know a lot of outlets talk to experts and there were some experts that did identifying of the plants for the authorities mm-hmm. um one of the things that they talk about is plant blindness and in their view you know people are very active in helping the animals like when you're talking about wildlife right nine times out of ten people are talking about animals and that's mm-hmm. great but like there isn't the same enthusiasm for saving plant life yeah. and being aware of like these kinds of crimes around plant life trading. Yeah. And then they wonder why years later they have to chop down something out of their yard because it's so fucking invasive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All of a sudden we're going to have cacti in our yard. Or they'll bring in a pest that decimates a population <clears throat> like the, um, you know, ash trees. Mm-hmm. Ash borer came through a plant trade mm-hmm. and it decimated our ash trees here. Yeah. So... Yeah, it has significant ramifications. Yeah. But people also don't give a fuck about the environment. So I know, yeah. are we surprised? <laughs> Not surprised, just disappointed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Following the raid in 2020, the cactuses were sent to be identified by experts who determined that they had come from Chile's Atacama Desert. Further investigation really revealed Piombetti had taken seven trips to Chile where he and several associates took the plants from the desert near Pandeazucar National Park. He then sent the cactuses to Greece and Romania, where international customs are a little bit laxer than when you're trying to get back into Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, he later obtained the plants and then returned to Italy, where he would prepare them for sale. Based on the records obtained from Piombetti's cell phone, 
The seized cactuses are estimated to be worth over a million euros, which is a little over 1.1 million U.S. dollars. It's so annoying because, like, most of these cactuses are going to places where they are not going to survive. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk about that. So it's all a fucking waste. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because you also can't... I mean, we talk about invasive invasive species, right? There are some plants that you can't take them out of their desert environment and take them to, you know, California and have them survive. Like, yeah. it's just there's because it's not the same... Cacti- there's very few cacti species that can survive in colder climates. Mm-hmm. Like, there is one cactus that can survive in the Midwest. Right. Like, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And there's, and it's like, it's the climate, it's the soil content, mm-hmm. it's the, I'm sure other animal life mm-hmm. around has an effect on, you know, like, there's a lot of factors on survival of a plant. So, like, that's something to consider, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, as we were saying, by the time they, the cactuses had been seized, a lot of them were in poor health, and authorities were trying to decide what to do with them. So, typically... In a case like this, Italian police would either destroy the cactuses that had been confiscated, or if they were very rare species, they would send them to botanical gardens to be looked after. But the sheer number of cactuses that they had confiscated proved to be a challenge, Mm -hmm. Um, just logistically, like somebody taking that many. And some of the species were critically endangered in Chile, and they came from one of these tiny stretches of land and required very specific caretaking. Mm -hmm. So the experts that had identified these plants for authorities really convinced them to make an attempt to return all of the cactuses to Chile, Mm -hmm. Um, which kudos to them because they were like, guys, this really is not going to work out as well. Mm -hmm. But again, there's a lot of red tape to get through. So they spent the remainder of 2020 navigating international red tape because – Um, These are in Italy. Mm -hmm. So finally, everything was ready to go. But then neither Italy nor Chile wanted to pay the $3,500 to have them shipped. (laughs) Which to me seems like such a drop in the fucking bucket. Couldn't they just charge the guy, you know, like make that part of his charges for illegally? That's what I would think. But who's going to front that cost? Well, you're going to get it back because you're the government of Italy. Italy should have done it. They're going to be like, we're going to get that back because we're going to fucking charge you. Yeah. Hard. So instead, the sort of plant conservation community and these experts led the effort to raise the required funding to have the cactuses shipped so the governments didn't even fucking pay for it. Like these just people who cared about (laughs) plant life were like, well, we got to get these back. So finally... In April 2021, 844 cactuses were Jeez. successfully returned to Chile. It's <laughs> a whole fucking forest. <laughs> it is. Um, from start to finish. Well, you, like I said, they were like golf ball to beach ball size, mm-hmm. right? So it's you're not talking huge trees, but that does take up quite a bit of yeah. fucking space. You know how many plants I have in my dining room right now? So many. 844? No. I mean, it's going to be close today. (laughs) (laughs) Um, From start to finish, around 100 cactuses had died, and another 84 were retained in Milan for study. Okay. But the rest of them got sent back to Chile. They're going to fucking die. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Oh, my God. I hate everyone. (laughs) 
I know. Um, I was not able to find if PM Betty was still waiting trial, but I'm going to assume the trial hasn't happened yet. Um, He hadn't at the time entered a plea. What's even happening right now that would do that? (laughs) Is there like a national, international pandemic or something? Yeah, yeah. That's part of the thing, too. These more recent stories. I mean, if the wheels of justice were slow before, they are even slower now yeah with courts only being in session a couple days a week and Mm -hmm. if if that like and they're like if you didn't kill somebody we don't care yeah please go away kill somebody we still don't really care yeah (laughs) yeah um so those are my two stories cactus cactuses and artifacts hitting my sweet spots (laughs) yeah i mean i just i you know i think so often when you talk about smuggling the first thing you think of is drugs Traffic, like human trafficking, jewelry, jewelry, <laughs> migrant. Oh my god, the amount mm. of articles I saw on migrant smuggling yeah. was like insane, you know. And I think there's some of these industries that are not highlighted highlighted as much. Mm-hmm. There's a great episode of Cheat. I don't know if you've ever listened to the podcast Cheat mm-hmm. about orchid smuggling. Yeah, an orchid mm-hmm. smuggling case that was really really interesting. So if you find if you liked this, check I, that out. Yeah, because I used to work. As an assistant to a floral shop. And one of the floral shops I worked at, he was an African violet grower. Ooh. And that's like a highly renowned society and growers will create their own hybrids and send those plants to other people so that they can propagate them further. Yeah. And it is. Like, that's technically illegal. You're not supposed to, you know, mail certain plant parts across certain places. Mm -hmm. So there is lots of – it. Granted, it's for personal collections and stuff, and yeah. it's something that is not stolen from anywhere. Yeah. But still, there's a lot of regulations to, pre- you know, prevent those things from happening. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't work all the time. Yeah. I mean, if you can do it legally, <laughs> fine. But, like, even that I'm a little sketched out by mm-hmm. because, like, like we said, it also means you're taking a plant from its native home. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's a little different because that's being bred in captivity anyway, right? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. So it's not like you're removing. I have more of an I issue mean, with removing the wildlife out, but I guess eventually. I have taken cuttings of plants before. Yeah. But they were native plants, so. Yeah. Did it kill the plant? <laughs> no, because I know how to do it properly. That's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing. Big difference mm-hmm. there, I would say. Yeah. If you're taking cuttings of natural, you know, native plants to create more of natural native yeah. plants in your area, I find like that's probably <laughs> Yeah, yeah. like we need more prairie here so we're gonna put lots of prairie everywhere that's one thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's land reclamation yeah. um <laughs> so before you decide to wrap up your succulent and send it to the mysterious man who called you last mm-hmm. night um i need this crassula now <laughs> plant humor i don't know. <laughs> check out this podcast <laughs> hello this is margo p and this is Margot D. And we are the Margos. We are the Margos. <laughs> co-hosts of the Book versus Movie podcast. We are the podcast that talks about films that are adapted from books. We read the book, we watch the movie, and then we decide which we like better, the book or the movie. Now I know what you guys are going to say. Duh, the book is always better than the movie. To which we always reply, have you ever read you Jaws? Read Jaws? <laughs> we are not film experts or literary geniuses. 
Nope, we're just two friends who like to chat about books and movies. We really like to go for a deep dive into the history of the book and the background of the author and the trivia from the movie set. And most of all, we just like to have fun, so we never take ourselves or the books or movies too seriously. You can find us wherever you sign up for your podcast under the name Book Versus Movie. And on social media, you can find us at Book Versus and Movies. You just spell it all out. Hope you check us out soon. Well, Janelle, that was a great episode. That was pretty fun. I yeah. like that. Keeping it light. Keeping it light. When the world around Keeping you is fun. so dark. <laughs> Knowing there's still people out there who are trying to scam harder than you are. Yeah. <laughs> there's people out there hustle, hustling, the side hustle, smuggling eggs. All kinds of stuff. Smuggling eggs. I still can't get over that. It's such a weird thing to smuggle. Yeah. It makes me sad, though, because all of those animals go into captivity. Like tigers. Ending it on a downer. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Janelle, what kind of news we got today? Well, if you want to get away from it all, you can <laughs> you can come to the beautiful riverside city of Elgin, Illinois, for a podcast festival where you can see us. Guaranteed no egg smuggling. Guaranteed zero egg smuggling. <laughs> We're going to be at Dark Matters. The podcast festival is happening at Side Street Studio Arts in downtown Elgin, Illinois, February 25th and 26th, it is $10 for a weekend pass. You can come see us and a bunch of other spooky, ooky, cool podcasts. Mm. As of right now, it is still live and in person. If that changes, we'll let you know. But if you want to get tickets, go to sidestreetstudioarts.org. And it's right on the front page. Just click on the picture where it says Dark Matters, and it'll take you right to the ticket sales. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> Super easy. To it'll be the first show of 2020. Um, hopefully not the last. 2022? 2022. We're not going back in time. I want to go God. back to when it was easy. I don't want to go back in time. 2022, <laughs> Do you yes. remember we did have a show right before the pandemic? Yeah. And I was sick. Yeah. Probably had COVID. <laughs> I don't believe it. COVID's not real. I was sick real. for what are you three weeks. About? COVID isn't real. In February. <laughs> End of January, early February. And then they're like, there's a pandemic going around. I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I had COVID. <laughs> Girl, it's not real. Everyone's like, no. You know it's not real. <laughs> it's not real. I'm just kidding. It's too real. COVID is actually very real. It's too um, real. <laughs> yeah, hopefully we'll still be in person. I am excited about mm-hmm. that though. Uh, they do have um if we are still in person, they do have all the regulations in place. Yeah. There's going to be everything's gonna be spaced out. Um, they have additional filters in their in their area, which is fantastic because I I still teach classes in that area. So. Nice, yeah. <laughs> um, and you are required to wear a mask inside yeah. at all times. You know what else would be your vaccination staff. I was going to say, you know, what would be helpful. Go get vaccinated. Um, I don't think they've gone to providing, which might change because they were talking about providing proof of vaccination for certain smaller gatherings. Yeah. Um, keep an eye on their page when you. Go to pay for your ticket if that changes. I know oh, no. there's some places just, outside of Chicago that are doing that. I just mean generally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just generally get vaccinated. And just in case. you know, um, Just in case you don't carry your vaccination card around with you. Oh, I do. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> I have it in a... Maybe oh my God. do it just in case. I have it in the cutest little coffin holder. It's a coffin holder. It's so cute. <laughs> I you fucking know, love it. that's too meta, okay? <laughs> I, I know. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Um... Okay, so if you we got that's what we got. (laughs) If you like this episode, you can find more just like this at Bad Taste Crime Cast dot Crime Podcast Crime Podcast Bad bad Taste (laughs) Bad Taste Crime Pod (laughs) dot com. Just look us up. We'll be we'll appear somewhere. 
Put bad taste crime and we'll be the first one. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you can also find our merch there if you want a t-shirt or something. Mm-hmm. We have, I don't know, a Patreon, I guess. Yeah. If you want to go on our um, YouTube, you can watch some old stuff on there. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Watch yeah. Our old anniversary I episodes. did. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's coming up. We did. It is. <laughs> we did not talk about this last episode, but our episode should be posted directly to our Facebook page now. Also, um, while the podcast, they like integrated a built-in podcast player into Facebook. It does not work on a desktop. You can only use the podcast player on your mobile device. But if you're a big Facebook, I know, right? <laughs> if you're a big Facebook user, not that I really want to support. We're talking to you, boomers. Meta, no. <laughs> but uh, if that's where we got to go, that's where we got to go. So right. heads up on that. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have anything else? Um, no. <laughs> cool. In that case, our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zachowski, the Enigma. <laughs> this has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Bye, guys. Shh, I'm smuggling something. <laughs> <laughs> Don't alert the guards. Don't tell anyone. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> it's not like a cat being murdered. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Is Agro okay? Agro, are you okay? Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully, it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S. based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.